Hello and welcome to the 91st episode of Downtime Podcast with a very kind of raspy voice, Jeremy, and a very peppy Elisa. How's it going, Elisa? I I didn't even notice you're losing your voice. Um, I'm recovering from last night's festivities. Just had a quick little late belated birthday party for myself with some friends and uh, drank quite a bit. Had a slight hangover this morning, but I am okay now and uh, my voice is a little deeper Maybe because it's hard to tell from your end since we haven't really spoken to each other in a, in a, in a bit since we've both been busy. But Yeah, um, I'm, I might not even tell until I actually put the tracks together. <laughs> yeah, no worries. No worries. Um, so, the, so the day before my birthday, um, I went out with friends to the bars and... The bars. The bars. And first we went to a cocktail place. So the cocktail place was very nice because it was a, it was one of those cocktail places where the bartenders know different types of drinks of all varieties and they actually work hard to mix your drink together and there's a lot of unique flavors. And I'm, yeah. talk, I'm talking about the ones where they have all the all the ingredients on the side and there's tongs to each one and they're just meticulously placing everything with every detail and the bartenders can mix things with one hand and do something with the other hand and it's like it's one of those types of bars oh that's awesome yeah so i had a good time there and then at midnight me and my friend who also this friend um is five days before me uh, her birthday so we did something at a different bar called the stoplight okay and we took three shots um wow. red yellow and blue so the red shot is cranberry the yellow shot is orange juice and the last shot is melon and it's uh vodka based oh okay so you the idea is you take these three shots in succession that's pretty cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it sucked because actually I got my mojo ruined because I was racing my friend to finish the shots. Oh, shit. I got... I, so I started with the green shot, which is the Midori melon shot. And it got messed up because there was a piece of plastic in my shot glass. Ew. I Initially, when I was about to chug it, I actually thought it was a cherry. Cause you know, I because oh, no. you know, sometimes sometimes there's cherries in your drinks. Yeah. It turns out it wasn't. <laughs> but I got that. We got that. Um, we got my set of shots for free. Okay, that's so good. it worked out. Nice. Um. So the Maduri shot was that just the the liquor that they put in there, or was it mixed with with anything else? I think that one is the only one that was not mixed with anything else. It was just the Midori. And I think Midori's huh. vodka based, correct? I am not sure at all. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I just know I that you don't really that. drink it straight. You just have to like mix it with stuff. Yeah. The orange juice and the cranberry one were mixed with vodka. Like visibly mixed with vodka for sure. Okay. Yeah. That's fun. Yes. So I had a very nice birthday week. Very, yeah. very good birthday week. Me too. Went to Korean barbecue last night. After that, we hit up a bar, tiki bar. Had your standard tiki drinks, but um, they had bowls as well. For those of you that don't know, bowls are basically like 
an a f- enormous amount of alcohol mixed into one large container and then everyone just has straws and they drink from it. And we typically getting- it's like a fruit it's a fruit mix too. Yeah, and we had ended up having four of them. Um not at the same time. We we got them two at a time. Mm-hmm. And one of them was an AMF. Well, technically they're all AMFs, but this one was like designated like the worst one of the bunch cuz it's supposed to get you really messed up and that's what happened. We drank basically four AMFs with one of them being the worst and we got pretty messed up. Hey. Um, even though we ate a lot at Korean barbecue because in the US, Korean barbecue is mostly all you can eat. You bas- you pay like 20 something bucks and you get to eat as much meat as you want for a certain amount of time. In our case, it was like 2 hour limit um and we just ate as much Korean barbecue as we could until all of our tummies were full. And then we moved on to drinking, which is good because, you know, as you know, it's not good to drink on an empty stomach. And we didn't because our, our bellies were so full of Korean barbecue, like basically protein and rice that we were like, all right, this like drinking alcohol is not a problem now. And then we got full. The, we got full from the alcohol while we were already trashed. And then we end up going back to my place, drinking more, ordering a large pizza, extra large pizza, like eating all of that, even though we just ate because like, it was insane. We got the drunchies like really badly basically um, living your best life no for real though like hey we're all we're getting older let's eat more uh it was great it was fun i had a great birthday weekend which is awesome did you know that in korea when you have barbecue if it's an all-you-can-eat place it's mostly in the international areas but if you have korean barbecue the way that it's done in korea you order by the plate the waitress or the server usually grills it for you and you're supposed to wrap your meat with lettuce any sort of lettuce wrap green wrap and you can put things like garlic pieces in it and Mm. all that stuff so so long story short it is way healthier than the shit that's here in the u.s which is just a protein overload uh yeah and so they actually did offer lettuce, and we did get lettuce wraps for our meat. So some pla- some Korean places in the U.S. do offer that, but I'd say most don't. But most most are trying to like like emulate that and imitate that in some way. So uh, we did get the lettuce wraps, which was a nice touch. Um, all very included. nice. Yeah, and uh, I want to go back. That place is so good. I just I just want to go back. And I was telling Elisa before we started that one of the best things about this Korean barbecue place in particular was that the vents were inside the grill so usually when you go to a korean barbecue spot you end up you know leaving the place smelling like it in our case we didn't smell like it at all since the vents were below the grill instead of on top of it and because usually if there's a vent on top that means the smoke has to go somewhere and usually it'll go up and that means that it'll the whole room and the whole the whole place will will be uh clouded with with smoke and smells like korean barbecue which it did walking up to the place did smell like it but yeah you know, that's that's only because the vents at the top of the building were filtered through the bottom of each grill and so that was a nice little little feature that i liked a lot and so i want to go back there and eat again yeah, especially so you don't smell like sesame oil when you get because it, man. Whenever you go to any sort of all-you-can-eat barbecue place, you smell like the sauce. Yeah, and a lot uh, of the marinades are sesame-based. So good, so, so good. So good though. <laughs> yeah, um, but so, yeah, congrats on being another year older. Thank you. You too. You thank too. Thank you. Thank you. We made it. Yeah, we're here. We're here. 
We did we it. Made it. We made it 27 years without dying. So speaking of birthdays, my brother got me a hat in time for my birthday on Steam, which... Oh, shoot! Yeah, I've been looking forward to this game, as I mentioned before. I was originally going to get it on PS4, but I mean, I have the game now and it really doesn't matter what I play it on. I have a controller for my PC, so I'll just plug that in. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, Another thing that I'm adding to my queue... I have a list of games I'm trying to complete by this whole year. Some of them haven't come out yet. Some of them are already released. And because I've been on this GameCube binge, it's been hurting uh, my schedule a bit, <laughs> to say the least. Hey, let it be. Uh, yeah, just like the Beatles song. Yep. Oh, well. But I'm looking forward to this overall. So I'll be talking about A Hat in Time more once I start it. But for now, just know that it's on my list of things to do things to play while I'm suffering playing this awesome game. <laughs> oh, yes. So shout out to my brother Jordan. He's been on the podcast before uh, for getting this cool game. Hopefully, I can start it as soon as I finish Okami, which I'll go into later. Awesome. You know, I forgot to m- mention this on the previous podcast, but I have Spider-Man now through Gamefly. Nice. I haven't played it yet, which I should actually play since I'm actually paying a subscription for this. But yeah. it it's it's been off to the side, and I do want to try it out soon, just because it is part of GameFly. I'm um, I'm excited to see, especially since all this Spider-Man stuff's been coming up, and Far From Home has been announced recently too. So feels like the Spider-Man hype train is still going still going from last year oh wow yeah that's that's awesome um there i like the nice touch i like about the spider-man game is that they have spidey suits from different eras and one of them that was released last year in december was one from into the spider-verse so and i like that outfit too yeah so you get to play with that which i think is awesome I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know exactly how to get the costumes yet, just because I haven't played it. But I want to get the 1950s Spider-Man costume. Oh yeah, that looks so cool. Yeah, I heard that's a thing, and I'm gonna make it a thing in my game as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I'm sure you'll take full use of all the screenshots. Oh yeah. Which, by the way, you know, screenshots have be- are becoming a more prominent thing like a like a almost staple required thing in video games now there's a trophy yeah. i think in kingdom hearts where you have to take pit, like selfies with different people or the different characters that you meet in the different worlds something like that right yeah 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 and i'm pretty sure but- there was some related one in yakuza 6 too uh that's pretty cool uh, yeah, I, yeah, there, there's something like that, but I, I think it's a cool feature. I, I definitely used it a lot when I was playing the Yakuza games, and I never really shared it with anyone. It was more like, a, oh, this looks it was like fun. a nice It's fun. It's a memory keeper. Yeah, and I could like occasionally go through and look at the things that I took pictures of, but yeah. for the most part, I wasn't. I had no intention of sharing 
the photos with anyone or just like posting it online anywhere. I just wanted to, you know, have fun taking photos. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think that this feature should be included in not every, I wouldn't say every game, but most games where it feels appropriate. Yeah. So like Cyberpunk 2077, I feel like that's definitely going to have a photography feature at some point. Yeah. It's like a, oh my God, it's like a medieval game. Taking a selfie. It's like, hey, wait a minute. It's like, it's like a kingdom come deliverance. (laughs) It's like, like, what do you, what is that you're holding? (laughs) How dare you? How dare? Yeah. um, But I, I do like the screenshot feature overall. Even mm-hmm. if it doesn't, even if it doesn't involve a phone, like in the Yakuza games, um, even in like like Spider Man or Red Dead, there's the screenshot mode which you can go into at any point. Just take beautiful photos, you know, make a new desktop background for your computer, share yes. it online, et cetera, et cetera. All the good, good. I remember that at some point someone posted a picture um, of like the area in. Grand Theft Auto Five that had the Ferris wheel. I honestly don't know the real name of that. Santa Monica Pier, I believe, is the name. Santa Monica Pier is the actual name. Right, right. I don't remember what the GTA equivalent name was, but in GTA Five you could do screenshots, obviously. And so someone took a picture of, uh, that the pier in the game and took the exact same photo of the same at the same angle in real life, and they were comparing the two. And mm-hmm. it's like, which one's the game? Which one's real life? And I was like, wow. Like Rockstar did a really good job of making the the colors and just everything about the the game look realistic. So I thought that was a nice touch, for sure. But yeah, no screenshots are good. Uh, share with everyone. There's some f- funny things you can get out of all that. I know. I like how a lot of games have made NPCs recognize the camera now. So if you do take a selfie or just take a picture of them, they'll actually look at the camera and smile. Or get angry and yell at you. Yeah, that that too, that too. Can't <laughs> impede on people's privacy, people. Yeah, for real though, like, why are you taking a picture of me, <laughs> Spider Man? <laughs> Looking at you. Um. Yeah. 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 So, what have you been playing recently? Oh, I've only been playing Stardew Valley right now. Sounds about right. I see you're you're logged into Steam sometimes. I'm like, I know what the, she's gonna play, and then it pops up like, you know, you're playing Stardew Valley. I'm like, ha, nice, nice. Um, I since we last talked, I finished year one, and now I've finished year two. It's been wonderful. Um, I'm getting more used to farming now, and I've, although my farm still sucks. I'm slowly figuring out how I should conduct my farm and what my layout should be. It's still a little bit difficult just because I, my farm is in a river area, but I think I can, I think I can make these changes th- in winter of year three. Winter of year three fucking, s- winter sucks because you just can't farm anything. But what's nice about winter is you can use it as an opportunity to change the layout of anything in your farm. Right. Because right. you have that like window where nothing really happens. Exactly. I have to make a living. I have to be the best farmer. It's and true. It's true. My farming proficiency. So whenever you level up every five levels, you get a new skill added to you. So my farming proficiency now... Um, artisan goods are 40% more profitable 
which is great for me because I invested in all of these machines. Good, good, good. Yes, and my fishing proficiency is also really good, so I can capture shellfish and and stuff now with my... I have a trapper, which is like a cage, where you dip it in the ocean or in the river, and it will lure crawfish and shellfish in. So I have that going for me now. And um, I actually did co-op a little bit, and it was great. How was that? The co-op was really awesome. I visited, so I visited Brandon's farm, uh, who's been on the podcast, and he's also visited my farm, and we were mining together because I hate mining. Mining fucking sucks. I don't like <laughs> mining in Minecraft or Terraria or this game. I just don't like it. And um, it was cool because when you have two farmers, like if your if your farms has a lot of animals, they can help you get all the products. Oh. Sorry, really random. Speaking of the animals, I also have a machine now called an auto collector, which means that I don't have to individually go to each animal and collect their milk. It will automatically collect it for me each morning. Oh, that's cool. It's a game changer, an absolute game changer. Nice. I feel like that's something that you know, a lot of farming simulator games have. Yeah, something that that auto does something for you because there's a there comes a certain point where you're like, all right, I've been grinding so hard to do this every day by myself manually, and yes. then now you're like, oh hey, I could do this by hand. Oh, I could do this like automatically. You know? Yes, so exactly. Cool. It's the best. It's so yeah. awesome. Oh my god, it it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I've I just, just want. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go. You can go first. I was, I was gonna say, I, I, that's what I just love about these life simulation games in general. Is like, there comes a like, there comes a point where you're like, I'm tired of doing this, and then they just throw something at you that you didn't realize was there the whole time. You're like, holy I crap, I don't have to do this anymore. Something else will do it for me. I know you can do work on something else. It's amazing. Yeah, and I'm glad that they do that because they introduce it in a way where it's like, oh, I have to literally do everything by hand, like like in the 1800s, you know? Yeah. When like like oh crap, no, this is 2019. You could do this just by pressing a button. I know. Oh man, I love a lot of the automatic stuff that happens in this game. So good. Yeah. Exactly. I've- I've also decided not to marry anyone right now in this game because, holy shit, I don't want to succumb myself. I'm a self-sufficient farmer who's trying to live my life, and if I have to have babies and give you gifts every day, I can't do it. I can't do it, so... Yeah, no no to the gifts. No to the gifts. That's annoying. Like, come on. (laughs) Like, why do I need to give you a gift to make you happy? Why can't you just... Why can't my presence just make you happy? I know. (laughs) Exactly. Jesus. Uh, I'm giving you a roof over your head. Exactly. (laughs) You wouldn't have this without me. Yeah, so true. The the last moment I have to share is a special moment, a special event. And what I did was there is a secret forest in this game. And the secret forest, um, you have to have like a nice axe to activate it. And I have a gold axe and... You have to take off a piece of hardwood and then you have access to this um, dark garden forest where you can get hardwood 
which is a different type of wood, which is way better and sturdier. Mm-hmm. And it's and there's a statue of a bear or something, which, by the way, I thought was an orangutan at first. It turns out it's not an orangutan. It's a bear. Anyways. Um, okay. Anyways, so what you do is you bring maple syrup to this statue, and then a legit... I have a screenshot that I'll that I can share, but legit a bear comes out, and the bear will then boost up your foraging skill and it was a it was great uh, like great because i was just like holy shit there's a fucking bear <laughs> and yeah it was it was awesome wow that's insane <laughs> yes it was a lo- it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun and that's it that's all i have to say about stardew valley oh wow that i again i always say this but i need to get into that game but uh, it's, with with a hat and time on my table and all this GameCube stuff going on, I don't think I can get into it anytime soon. And yeah, plus, I, I mean, like, if you get <laughs> into it, you're basically you're basically gonna spend like forty hours. It's a job. Yeah, it's it's. I don't want to commit yet. I don't feel like I want to commit. I just like the whole on and off thing right now. Yeah. And I I get that you know you're committed, Elisa, and I respect that a lot. It's just it, once I start trying something, then I'm addicted. It's like doing drugs, you know. It's just like you have a little bit. You're like, nah, I'm good, and then you're like, but that one time was really fun, and you go back, you have it. You're like, oh crap, now I'm addicted, and my whole life is ruined. What did I do? That's how I, I mean, feel. I'm not addicted <laughs> by I'm not addicted by choice. Oh, I'm doing it. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> not, not you. I know you're fine. <laughs> like I'm addicted. It, it. I didn't expect this to happen either. <laughs> Well, there you go. Hey, you know that you know stuff happens. Yep, pretty much. Well, I mean, again, th- I mentioned this in the previous on a previous podcast. Like, it's how I felt about Yakuza Zero. You know, I didn't expect it to be such an amazing game, and then when I started playing it, I got addicted, and I was like, I can't stop thinking about this video game. Holy crap! And then hey. I do, I do want to feel that again for another video game, but I also don't because it sucks up my entire life, and I'm like, what the hell do I do? This game is over. <laughs> I know. I really I need to move my. The good news is there's just nothing coming out for me, really, anytime I feel soon. So I feel, I feel it. I feel it. Yeah, which is great. But yeah, I definitely have a lot. I have a few console games from the pipeline of 2018 that I want to finish. Spider Man, obviously, one of them, and then God of War, which I want to pick up because I'm like, I feel like I'm. 15 hours away from finishing the game i i i'm like halfway i think so it's one of those things now i was like okay i'm close and then i can wrap up 2018 completely yeah so i'll probably yeah. focus on that for the remainder of this month and march just so that i have a clean slate for everything I want to introduce a little segment called Cube Corner, where I talk about GameCube games specifically and kind of a little history on them, because it's something that I hold near and dear to my heart, as the GameCube is probably my favorite console of all time, um, as indicated by my recent flurry of picking up GameCube games. But uh, So yeah, in today's little Cube Corner segment, I want to talk about a game that's called Gun, capital G-U-N. came out in... Uh, 2005 i believe and it's um by activision published by activision and developed by this company called neversoft and um the game follows a cowboy 
by the name of Colton Cole White, and he is a skilled marksman living in the year 1880 and the American Old West. Um, I have to say, finding stuff about this game is hard online because when you type in something that you have to do in the game, for example, like dual wielding in gun, like a lot of search results you know, talk about stuff in either real life or in other video games, because when you have a game called Gun, it's kind of hard to talk about firearms in the game within the the, the naming context, since, oh boy, yeah, you, you don't want to talk about guns for the game Gun, because it just gets confusing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish they needed something else, but I do like that the title is unique in a sense, but I do wish that there was a different name that this went under. Um yeah, so the game came out in 05. Um, you follow a cowboy who must avenge his father. Um, there's some pretty prominent people in here, voice actor-wise, that I heard did a really good job and moved on to other stuff. But probably the most recognizable name in this is Ron Perlman, and he plays a what? secondary... really? Yeah, he plays a secondary bad guy in the game, and he, he lends his voice very well. Um, oh, yeah. he was Punisher yeah. before. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he definitely has that bad guy video game voice. Um, so you you fight Native Americans, you fight uh, mostly Native Americans, but also, I mean, in the beginning of the game at least, but there's also your fair share of the regular bad guy cowboys that you must fight. So there's combat on horse, um... You choose different rifles and shotguns and pistols, and it kind of feels like a Red Dead Redemption prior to Red Dead Redemption. Like it's it's an open world setting. You have to like travel on horse from town to town. Um, you know, there's classic cowboy things of like you know, stopping trains, robbing thing, robbing people, fighting for the good, standoffs, stuff like that. So it definitely feels like a are Western you an outlaw? Game. Like, what's your standing as a cowboy? Are you an outlaw or are you good? You know, you're kind of in the gray area because at one point you become a deputy, but then you kind of go against that. And so it's kind of hard to explain from a from a moral perspective since you fight for the good, but you're also a bad guy in a sense. Basically, you're just trying to find the guy that killed your father. And, you, and from a third-person perspective that person the guy that you're trying to kill could be could be a good guy because you know he runs all this stuff but of course you they portray him to look like a bad guy since you know he does the classic bad guy thing of like killing his own henchman for failing him stuff like that so you're you're playing a anti-hero in a sense you only have one goal and you'll do anything to get to that one goal but your character is morally good for the most part but when he needs to kill, he'll kill. Got it. Yeah. And why and why are you attacking Native Americans? Did they kill your father? No, he they're attacking you because they you took their land or they oh, assume okay. that you took their yeah. land cuz you're a white guy, you're a Caucasian male in this game and the Native Americans are like, "Oh, you're you're trespassing on our territory." And in the from the beginning of the game, it kind of made them seem like they're a secondary villain conclave since they start attacking you for no reason during some points of the game you're like oh well gotta kill them and then while the bad guys have a clear motive they're like there he is let's kill him he killed our men or something so yeah there's this whole there's this whole um 
like level of difficulty when it comes to the enemies because the more missions you do the more your notoriety gets known and the faster the bad guys will see you the more health they have etc etc so everything scales up as you get more and more upgrades so there's like along with the main quest there's little side missions you could do as in every open world game where you find certain people they'll tell you to do something uh you get money for it so for example there's a native american guy and he's like oh hey i need you to help hunt these these animals for me because they've been terrorizing our villages and you go help him you get like 10 to 15 bucks per kill um there's also wanted poster missions where you see a wanted poster on the side of a building you can select it uh cole will read the wanted poster out loud he'll say like oh looking for so-and-so they attacked um a prominent congressman or something like that and it's up to you to go out into the world and find that guy and then kill him um so they could either be stationary like hiding in a fortress like a small fort or they could be on horseback riding around you have to go find them and then and then kill them so you could use different like weapons as i mentioned before you can use different rifles pistols shotguns bow and arrow explosives like from molotov cocktails to tnt it's pretty cool. I, I like the game overall so far. Wow, there's TNT. Yeah, classic cowboy weapon, you Cap- know? <laughs> classic detonation weapon. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I've always wanted to play this game growing up, but I didn't have a chance. One, because I was too young when the game came out. My parents wouldn't let me play this game. Um, two, <laughs> <laughs> um, two, I didn't know it came out, came out on GameCube. Um, and three, it I just wasn't really interested until now when i realized oh this game looks really cool i remember seeing all these reviews on g4 about it when g4 was still around um and people were talking about how gun is like the most innovative and realistic open world cowboy shooter that's ever come out for its time you know of course until red dead came out um but yeah no i I, it's definitely pre-red dead it feels like you know it could be a part of the red dead franchise but it's definitely something that stands on its own it sold really well overall, um, and yeah, no, I, I I really like this game, and I want to keep playing it. I'll finish it probably in the next week or so. This was a great segment. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this, I'm gonna. It was I'll do very my best fun to, learning about this. Yeah, yeah, no worries. I'm gonna try to have a little cube corner segment every other podcast when I start a new GameCube game and finish it because, yeah, as I mentioned before, definitely. I d- yeah, there's a bunch of games here from like the Pikmin series to Sonic Adventure to Jedi Outcast. I mean, all these games that I love so much, I just want to talk about them and kind of preserve the history of these games since, um, you know, GameCube games are unique in the sense that they're, they come from a time when Nintendo was trying to prevent piracy but also stand out in the gaming world uh because they use like mini optical discs uh that only hold like 1.5 gigabytes of information and so everything looks compressed when it comes to certain bigger games like gun Mm -hmm. for example the textures and everything else look kind of blockier on the gamecube version since uh the company had to reduce the size and compress all the files to make them look and look appropriate but also run appropriately on the gamecube um but yeah, no, I, I want to continue talking about games like like this and future GameCube titles since I think um, maybe some people might be interested in that. And so we'll see. We'll see what I, we'll see. Yeah, where this goes. I can't wait for the next segment. I'm really oh. curious which one you're going to choose next. Uh, oh, yeah. No, there's a whole I have like 30 games to choose from. So you'll hear from something once oh, I finish. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's been Cube Corner. Um, what I've actually been playing is Okami, as I mentioned. Trying to finish that, uh, hopefully soon. Um, I'm just gonna like run through it. Like I, I want to like stop and smell the flowers, but at the same time, I want to finish the game because I think the story is really unique and and interesting. Um, uh, but yeah, and I after that, I'm gonna start a Hat in Time because oh, man, that game is so cute, and it, I love platformers. It's pretty in adorable looking for sure. Yeah, I already installed it on my computer. Like, the day that my brother sent it to me, which was my birthday, I just installed it that night. I was like, I gotta play this sometime soon because it's so cute. Moving on to gaming news, the Nintendo Direct that came out this month actually came out on my birthday, and I didn't really have a chance to watch the whole thing, but I did follow up with the highlights. Yeah, I saw a lot of the highlights, and um, a lot of gaming announcements of like things i never knew existed for yeah. example super mario maker 2 i never knew there was a super mario maker 1 oh <laughs> yeah i didn't no. know that you could yeah. make your own super mario platforms and levels yeah no when that when that first came out for the switch i was not for the wii u no, sorry not the switch when it first came out for the for the wii u i was actually surprised that they were going to even make more mario games in that in that sense since Basically, everyone already made their own levels, and I think that was the thing that um, the developers of the 2D Mario series were talking about, was like, uh, they kind of ran out of ideas, because they kind of used up all these different levels already that they had in mind, and so yeah. they kind of handed all those tools to the community, uh, and it did so well, and it kind of brought the Wii U sales back up a little bit, but not too much, since the Wii U was kind of a failing console from the beginning. Um, needless to say, everyone was wondering where's Super Mario Maker on the Switch, and lo and behold, everyone thought they were gonna be porting the first one over to the Switch. No, they were they were quiet about it because they're making a sequel. Hey. Uh, so there's a bunch of new tools and features in the game that um, yeah, that we'll see uh, when it comes out in June. Um, another big announcement from the Nintendo Direct was uh zelda Link's awakening uh, got a remaster so the game came out in 1993 and now they are bringing it onto the switch with enhanced graphics and sprites and all this other stuff so it, it looks really good i personally didn't play that game one because i was too young and two because you know ocarina of time majora's mask Wind waker you know those games came out when i was growing up and i didn't really play the older ones except for Number one, the first Legend of Zelda game that came out in 86. I didn't play it, uh, of course, until I was a little bit older. I'd say around like seven or eight because our dad, he bought the NES back in the day and he handed the console to my brother and I when we were growing up. And so we became the owners of it. And actually, that very console sits underneath my TV next to my dad's Genesis, Sega Genesis. So, yeah, it's really cool that my brother and I have the first Legend of Zelda game on a cartridge form, although we don't really play that system overall it's really cool to have a piece of history in a plastic container <laughs> in a sense um are they gonna yeah. remake every zelda you know everyone's speculating that's the plan but since all the zelda games are pretty much available on almost every nintendo platform it doesn't really make sense to do it but i welcome the whole thing being remade i mean it seems like they're making it seems like they're going to be remaking all the Resident Evil games since they did that with one, now two, and they're saying that if two does well, they're going to do it with three. And two seems to be doing well right now. Yeah, it's the right mix of horror 
an action that I think everyone's been looking for, and it definitely has the right essence. Yeah, um, they the really cap- they're they re- they're really capitalizing on the success of Seven, and just yeah. bringing back bringing back old Resident Evil classics that no one's played yet. I mean, at the end of, of the this day, generation, I mean. Yeah, and and at the end of the day, it's it's nostalgia. The nostalgia brings the money in, hence why we get all these remakes and re- all these remakes of movies. First of all, so yeah, nostalgia sells. Nostalgia definitely brings in the money. So I I welcome it when it comes to video games. Like I I I think that remasters and remakes are good because they introduce the game to a whole new audience that's never played it before or didn't know it existed. So, like, for example, Kid Icarus Uprising. When it came out on the 3DS, people are like, what's Kid Icarus? Is it that guy from uh, the Smash games? I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's, it is. it is. So now there's a new game and, you know, people can enjoy it. So I think that's really cool that studios are continuing continuing to remaster games. And Nintendo's, uh, you know, no angel when it comes to these kinds of things. But they definitely know how to do it right. For sure. Also, Tetris 99 was announced and released on the same day, which is basically Tetris Battle Royale. And I've seen some videos on it. Yeah, me too. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I really don't care, <laughs> to be I honest. I low-key want to play it because I feel like, I mean, I'm not, I feel like I'm decent at Tetris, but I am curious how I stack up against other people in this setting. Yeah. Yeah, I want to see how my brother does because he's also pretty good. Yeah, I feel like I can beat a lot of people, but we'll see. I don't got a Switch, so. <laughs> and I also don't have Nintendo Online because apparently it's only for Nintendo Online Switch users. Oh, okay. That it's free to play at least. Um, since I'm not a subscriber, I don't think I can download it, and th- I really don't have an interest anyway. So there's no point. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then. Something from your list on gaming news, Fire Emblem Three Houses was announced with yep. a release date for July 26th. That's correct. A lot of people are looking forward to this game, so we'll see what happens when it comes out. It definitely looks good. I, I'm not a huge fan of the series overall, but um, knowing the characters from Smash definitely feels cool that there's... Uh, you know, there's a, there's an audience for this series since people didn't really know what this series was about when Super Smash Brothers Melee came out. But Super Smash Brothers Melee had Marth and Roy, and people were like, "Oh, who are these two swordsmen? What games did they come from?" Fire Emblem. What's Fire Emblem? And now we have more and more Fire Emblem games coming out. So it's cool that the there's an audience for this series. The tactical JRPG genre is definitely a a little bit of, not. I wouldn't say it's a niche genre, but no, it's a very no, no. popular one and. That's going to be successful, and absolutely, I've noticed a lot of people are playing War Groove right now, including myself, as the current tactical game. So that they at least have this on Steam to, uh, like to pull them over while waiting for the next Fire Emblem, at least for Nintendo Switch users. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, Catherine Full Body comes out on September 3rd. As I've reported on previous podcasts, it's the original Catherine game with one new storyline added and a new, and a new character, which I I've read articles about how there's a leak that it might be a controversial character, but I won't I can't really say anything until it actually gets released. So, we'll see about that. 
Um, yeah, that, that's like far into the year. Yeah. It was originally going to come out in Q1, but I I mean, I don't mind. I never mind if a game is delayed, if they're like working on translating or anything like that. Yeah, I'd rather they take their time than rush something. Yeah, like translating's translating can take a while, especially context and idioms. So, like for example, like the Yakuza, the Yakuza fandom on Reddit is really impatient when it comes to waiting for Yakuza games, and I'm just like, Sega has always been very, um, has always been very clear and transparent about translating and how it takes a while, and you guys are very impatient, and you <laughs> need to calm down. <laughs> Yeah, they're, the Yakuza fans are a very passionate group of fans. And to your point, the the Sega official Reddit account is very active on the Yakuza subreddit. And they always post things kind of like at the same time they're announced on Twitter or just in general from Sega. So if a, if a translation of a project gets announced, like, oh, let's say, for example, like Project Judge Eyes is coming to the U.S. and it's called Judgment without an E. And then it gets posted to the subreddit directly from Sega, which I think is cool. Um, but the audience is not very forgiving. Yeah, it it's like, you know for a fact that you're going to get at least one Yakuza game each year, which has happened for since 2016. So if you know that already, then just expect something to happen at least once a year. And yeah. Don't- don't keep bothering them they're they're doing their work they've said they're doing their work like i don't know what other answer you want yeah and when it's ready they'll t- they'll announce it they'll talk about it but just yeah. you know stop don't put your pitchforks down and just wait you know yeah exactly if you if you notice the pattern that a yakuza game comes out every fall then i'm assuming that's the pattern so just yeah. wait it out so with that, we're expecting the announcement of a English translation of Yakuza Three to come. That because it was recently released in Japan last year, I believe, and so uh, basically a remaster on PS4. So we're just waiting to see if uh, that remaster comes to the West. Yeah, pretty much. I, I'm I'm excited. I, I hope that three, four, and five come out. You know, n- this year, next year, and then 2021. Yeah, man, hype is real. I I'm excited to play three. If I'm impatient, I'm gonna just play the PlayStation three version. There you go. Yeah. Essentially, I don't think there's anything added. It's not like a Kiwami. It's just a remaster. So it's not like I'm waiting for much else except for a PlayStation four port. Yeah, in my case, I'm I don't mind waiting since I've already waited this long and I'm pretty much caught up on the story. So. Anything yeah. between that is just kind of a filler for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, some fun news. Um, since you were talking about Nintendo earlier, there was a record-breaking uh, Nintendo uh, Super Mario Brothers game that was sold, and it was sold for. Let me get the price. It was sold for one one hundred thousand one hundred fifty dollars, and it's an unopened nineteen eighty five copy. Wow, why was it so expensive? Just because it was sealed? Sealed and mint, most likely. Huh. I wonder where that came from. <laughs> uh, I closed the I closed the article, so I'm not sure, but definitely yeah, no you can just look it up. Uh, basically, 100k. Wow. I know that's that's crazy. So hey, if you're listening and you have a sealed copy of an NES game, 
Make sure it's something that might get you a lot of money. So like Legend of Zelda. If yeah, you, have it you never know. You never know. Because yeah. honestly, I've been like doing a lot of my own research when it comes to um, purchasing retro games since I mentioned this on a couple previous podcasts. Right now, it's really hot to collect NES, SNES, and N64 games because, you know, they're going to be, there's going to be a point where they're going to be really expensive and they're already climbing up that path. And for me, I'm becoming more of a GameCube collector, I'd say overall, since yeah. I'm I'm looking for just, you know, games that I want to play, not not the whole GameCube library, but there's quite a few games on my list that either I didn't play growing up, but I wanted to, or that I just want to play for the first time that I didn't know existed. For example, there's a game called Geist, which is a first person shooter um, where you play this paranormal soldier and you become a ghost at some point. And I didn't know that that was a game until I started doing more research and, you know, purchasing more GameCube games. I was like, oh, crap, that game is actually super cheap. I actually want to pick it up and see what it's like. So I will talk about that on a future Cube Corner segment. But, yeah, uh, I just think that um, with any with with when it comes to collecting games and um you know, selling games, it's really good to know how much they go for. So websites like price charting are a good example. So there's quite a few games in the Mario Party series on the GameCube that run for like 30 to 40 bucks. And this is just for the game itself. Like brand new is way more expensive, but also CIB, which stands for complete in box. That means it comes with the manual, the game disc and the case. Those prices are kind of in between a loose game which is loose meaning that it's just the game disc or just the cartridge itself not the whole box Hmm. um uh there are people on ebay of course who sell the boxes for every game which is nice literally just the case um uh and there are also people that make custom cases so for example there's like there's a website called like customgamecase.com and they make their own n64 gba uh nes snes uh cases you can buy them for like three or four bucks a pop and they'll produce them for you yeah they'll produce them for you and then they'll ship it to you and now that you know there's collectors out there who have no cases at all for their uh, for their n64 games because back in the day you know you really really as a kid you don't really care about the boxes you're like i just want to play the game and you just throw the case out but now it's a hot ticket to have the case or just own the case in general or Better yet, own a sealed copy of a game because those game prices are only going to go up for retro games. Like even if they don't really care about the case, they're really trying to make sure that it's in such a good quality and pristine quality, un- like a very untouched look to it. Just it, it just adds to the price if you can get all of that, all your eggs in one basket. It's why like the guys that opened the Magic the Gathering cards from the 90s like use white gloves when they open these cases because <laughs> these these cards are like so expensive some yeah. of them are uh, but they're just, they're just old as hell and so you want to be careful when you're handling things like that so, true i mean i really don't care <laughs> because i these cases when they come to me from ebay or from like craigslist or something i expect them to be kind of dirty i expect the discs to be a little scratched but the good thing about the gamecube is their disc could be like scratched as hell but you'll still be able to read it because the, the, the GameCube has a really nice and good like laser sensor. And so I think that's really cool how all the games that I have on my shelf now, I believe, are playable since, um, you know, despite all the scratches, it's still good. And I there were some games I really didn't take care of uh, as a kid and owning some GameCube games because I would like something you should never do is like stack the games in one case. Like that meaning like you put 
the original game in the case. And then if you don't have a case for the other game, you just like put it in the same slot. But you know, that section isn't meant to hold two games. Not that it's going to make them stuck, but it's going to make one looser and like fall out. And one of my games is really scratched, um, but it's still playable, which is nice. So what I'm trying to say is take care of your games, kids. (laughs) (laughs) So another layoff in the gaming industry Sad news. A, a little bit of a shady lay. I mean, all layoffs are shady, but this one was interesting. So 800 employees were fired or let go from Activision Blizzard, even though they, quote, achieved record results in 2018. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Bobby Kotick, Bobby Kotick, the CEO, mentioned that. And um, pretty much the way that the... Like how Blizzard looks to stakeholders is really good and has a lot of value, but they had to lay people off. Now, what's being uncovered is potentially the amount of money spent, profit made, you know, all that business mumbo jumbo. Um, Bobby Kotick may have taken more money for himself than he should have, and to balance out the profit and to and to balance the value to stakeholders it was either cut his paycheck or cut other employees and he did the latter right um as you know the telltale fiasco happened and it brought the idea of maybe it's time to unionize gamers and video game developers everyone in this industry and if this is proven that he really did cut people just so that he could keep pe- um keep his paycheck even though they've achieved record results then we really do have an issue and it is about time that w- gamers can unionize in the United States. So maybe it's not true that they have record results. I mean, right now they're struggling to keep the Overwatch audience alive because Overwatch as a title, made so much money for the past couple of years, but, you know, once the Battle Royale thing got super popular, everyone kind of left Overwatch to play Battle Royale games. Yeah. And it's hard to stay relevant within a video game. Like, for example, TF2, Team Fortress 2 on Steam, that game is timeless. I think that they're always going to add something new to it, something fresh to keep it alive. Even though it's not going to be a Battle Royale thing, it might be a mod that someone makes, but officially from Valve, like, you know, they're always going to add something to make it fun and playable and people will come back to do but i think for the most part yeah i wish i wish blizzard kind of handled this a lot better but right now of course they're called blizzard activision and a lot of people are saying like you know pre-2008 is when blizzard was shown the best because uh after that when activision bought blizzard it kind of went downhill from there but they did release a lot of really good games. Like I'm not saying that this is my own opinion. I'm just telling you that a lot of people do feel the way that um, Activision, Activision Blizzard is the way it is now because of the whole buyout situation. Um, but I, overall, I just feel like maybe it was a good thing. Maybe it was a bad thing. At the end of the day, people got hurt and that sucks. But I do hope they find new jobs soon. Yeah, and a lot of the gaming industry is rallying up to make sure that a lot of the people who got laid off have jobs. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so hopefully it all works out for those 800 employees. Um, 
never trust companies is really the moral of the story. Just always keep your guard up. Yeah, no. Never I mean, stand a company. Don't stand a company. Stand the people who created the game. <laughs> no, for real. And this kind of broadens out to not just the gaming industry, but just working in general. I mean, I know there are quite a few people that listen to the podcast that do have working jobs. Um, and coming from both Alisa and I's personal experiences, we can tell you that even though a company might say they value you, they really don't. And you're just a number on the spreadsheet. So yeah. You know, so, even though you might seem like a quote unquote family, yeah, but your real family are your friends and your actual immediate family and your extended family. Never be afraid to be greedy for yourself in your career because the company is going to also be greedy and they're only going to look out for their best interests. So the best thing that you can do for yourself in life is to look out for your best interests and to be selfish. Yeah. Also, make yourself valuable. Make yourself an asset. Make yourself being make make yourself put into a position where they the company will say that they need you and and there comes a point where you can do that and once you do that you know they can't really let you go or they'll try to make you stay and at the, it's at that point where you have to decide on your own do you really want to stay at this company do you really feel like it's fulfilling to you to move on um do you want more money there's always going to be these things that come up that kind of help you decide which direction that you want to go in Definitely. and i think and i think that whoever's listening needs to take this to heart because again you're just a number on a spreadsheet and you have to look up for what's best for you at the end of the day and sometimes working for the same place might not be what's best for you sometimes you might want to move on to something that's a little bit more fulfilling you know from a career perspective maybe it's more money maybe it's a better location maybe it's better within the job of what you're doing maybe it's you know fulfilling in a sense that you can do something that's not monotonous or yeah or you know something that makes you feel a little bit more alive or gives you more time to do other things that you want because i'm a strong believer in the 60 40 rule meaning that some people like to say oh 50 50 like 50 percent of my life is my job 50 percent of my life is my social life outside of my job but i think that you should prioritize your social life and your your basically your life outside of the job more than your work life i think I think that 60% of your life should be mostly your friends, your family, activities that you want to do outside of work, and 40% should be your job. I think it should be 70-30. Hey, I like that too. I like that too. I Honestly, honestly, I like that too. I say 60-40, but I feel 80-20. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I hope someone that just listened to our little talk got something out of it. I, I just think it's important to... Do things that you love in life and not worry about the small things, especially since... Don't worry uh, about of, work. Yeah. You know, since Elise and I just had our birthdays, I was kind of just thinking about and reflecting on the things that brought me here, to, you know, to this day and how video games have been a huge part of, you know, coming home from work and relaxing and pulling up a game and just getting sucked into that world and not worrying about other outside stuff. The more that you don't prioritize work, oddly enough... I, the mentality makes you more efficient in general, in my opinion, and makes yeah. you more valued. Because if you tell people who need you that you act, you have to leave at 530, they're going to be like, oh, shit, really? Well, crap, I guess I need to figure this out sooner than later. Yeah, you do what's best for you and what's right for you and what you feel like makes more sense to you. And the last piece of news that we have is that uh, CEO of PlayStation, Sean Layden, had a press conference, and 
he pretty much ju- I, I don't know why but sony just has been really trying hard to justify why they pulled out of e3 like i swear they've had like five different people speak out on this in the past six months and yeah. and and then so finally he he's one of the new people who has spoken about it and long story short he just he explains that he they pulled out of e3 because they feel like e3 is no longer an industry networking event for partners developers retailers and everything and Eventually, they may go back to E3, but they're not going to do it right now. So, to really translate it, pretty much E3 being turned into a public event turned PlayStation off. So, I just want to get your quick thoughts on this, Lisa. How does this make you feel since you were someone that attended E3 and saw it firsthand? So, if you recall me talking about E3 back in 2017... Um, it really did feel like a regular con and there was a lot of gamers and fans really like very typical Comic-Con AXS, like anything you can think of people pushing each other like for free stuff. It was really one of those types of events and really it was hard to find people who worked for the companies and talk right. to them and network. And there was right. a network. And the thing is, they did create a networking app. But I I have a feeling that it just really, since it was the first time that they had the networking app, it wasn't figured out. It was really hard to meet people. And the reception wasn't even that great either. I Ugh. I didn't feel confident in E3 the year that I attended to talk to people. And it really just felt like a regular old video game con. So I understand if you, especially, honestly, especially if you're a small developer, you're, you're a smaller video, de- uh, video publisher or video game developer company, and you're trying to really network with people and really have these big people see your, um, see your games. But instead... It's like the big game companies, they have to worry about having the best booth for the public that you really kind of take away from the networking aspect of it. It, Because now it's really becoming just a show. So to be honest, um, I completely get it because E3 is is completely different than what I was expecting. But also the year that I went to E3 was the first year that it was ever public. Um, I think what really needs to be figured out is I think that the the people who run the event, I don't even know who runs E3, but the coordinators and the people who plan it, they need to really specify like is this game a- is this conference actually for developers or is it for the fans? They need to be very explicit about it. And r- as of when I attended, it was clearly for the fans. And I didn't feel like it was for people in the industry at all. Right. No, I I get it. I get it. I think it's totally fine that it is a public event if they want to turn it into a public event. I just think that they need to say it. They, They need to say that this isn't really a networking event anymore. It's a video game showcase. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah. Um, I just hope that th- this doesn't call other publisher- publishers or studios to pull out. Um, 
it, it doesn't seem like it's affected Nintendo or or uh, Microsoft since they still seem to be in E3's floor space. But I mean, we'll see. Uh, we'll see for the for, for the future because I right now I think that it's good that Nintendo and Microsoft can kind of be there to represent you know the bigger the bigger studios and publishers since you know one of the biggest dropped out. I feel like there's more room and space for growth for them to kind of plan out things that they want to do because honestly, Nintendo could just be like, Oh fuck all. We'll just do another Nintendo direct and just watch it. You know, they don't, they technically don't have to be there, but That's I feel like Nintendo. Thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they pretty much did that last year, but I just feel like since Nintendo really wants people to interact with their, their products, they would go through the trouble of, you know, having booths of games out there for people to try and play firsthand. Um, and I, I think that's a nice touch because, yes, they did have a just all video announcement thing, but at the end of the day, it's all about interacting with the people because the people want to know the work that goes behind the games and they also want to play it. So there's no other way to do that than to just be there for um, for the fans and just have them physically touch something to get a sense of what it's going to be like. They have one every quarter, too. Nintendo has nothing to lose, actually, if they pull out of E3. Out of the big three, it's it's Microsoft that has everything to lose if they pull out because they don't have an event for themselves. PlayStation could have PlayStation experience if they ever wanted to. I know they canceled it in 2018 because they had no announcements, but who's to say that they won't have one in 2019? And then there's Nintendo Direct. Microsoft has nothing, I guess, except for releasing press on their own. But if they really... They can take advantage of the fact... Because Microsoft is the direct competitor to PlayStation, in my opinion. I don't think it's Nintendo, because Nintendo is a different type of platform. Microsoft could really blow it out of the park for the consoles and the next gen if they really want to. Yeah, no, I agree with that sentiment. Nintendo in the past was a toy maker, and to this day, they still say they're making toys for people. And it kind of shows in their work and the quality of their work. So I feel like Nintendo is on their own boat while um, Microsoft and and Sony are just neck and neck on the same boat, just fighting it out. Yeah. Uh, and like I mean, pe- they're all about similar hardware specs too. Yeah, exactly. So Microsoft, they could make something out of PlayStation not attending. Oh yeah. They're probably going to poke a jab at them or something. They're going to say something about yeah. this whole debacle. They're, they're going to say something about this whole debacle and, and Sony's pull out, but it's going to be, it's going to be funny, I think. But honestly, I only care about Halo when it comes to Microsoft yeah. and the Xbox system. So I just want them to talk more about Halo Infinite. Uh, and after that, it's like, oh, if it comes out on Xbox, it's probably going to come out on the, on the PlayStation because the only exclusives that they have are like the Halo franchise and anything that's produced from Rare, such as Sea of Thieves. Mm-hmm. But if they announce something like Banjo-Kazooie 3, I'll be like, what? That's crazy. But for the most part, I'm like, eh. Nintendo's going to steal everything from E3, so it's all good. Unless Sega's like, hey, we have a new console. I'll be like, what? Hey. <laughs> I mean, they've been doing so well recently. I'm like, wow, when are they going to announce the next console? But, you know, they've been out of the game since 2003 or something. Also, I uh, there's, another, there's one more comment that he made, and I thought it was an interesting comment, where Sony wants to make bigger games... But they want, but 
but less games and where the development cycle of these games might take a longer time. Some something along those lines. Wow, then that means Kojima is the perfect man for that system oh, since Jesus you know Christ. Death Stranding <laughs> was like announced how many years ago and Ugh. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, whatever comes out after Death Stranding, if it is successful and not totally fucking weird, then we'll see what happens what comes out of his studio. Um but I think Kojima is a perfect uh, the perfect guy for this whole uh this whole system if if Sony is really dedicated to it. Shout out to Rokuru Rangetsu on the Discord wishing us a happy birthday. Yay. And Jeremy, if people wanted to send in questions for the podcast, where do they go and how do they follow us? Well, you can always go to www.downtime.live. Click on the contact form. You can send us a comment, question, or concern that way. You can also... Find us the old-fashioned way. Go to contact at downtime.live. Send us an email directly through that mean. Um, you can also find us on um, uh, iTunes, Podbean, YouTube, basically all your major platforms except for Spotify. Leave us a comment or review on any of them. Leave us a review on iTunes and we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. Um, yeah, you can also find us on Discord if you go to our website again at www.downtime.live. Click on the left side, ha- left-hand side. If you scroll down, click on the word community, you'll be automatically invited to a link to join our Discord chat where we have a small group of people from our community that are talking about video games all the time. Um, yeah, leave us a question or comment there. We You can pretty much reach us directly if you join our Discord and we'll answer within the day. Um, you can ask us direct questions. You can hear our feedback live. So that's kind of a cool feature that I like. I still love our discord community so much. And even though I'm, I'm not as active since I'm, I've been pretty busy lately, I'm trying to get more active and, um, definitely respond faster and better. Uh, but for the most part, yeah. So, um, that's pretty much everything. Did I miss anything? Nope. That's it. Thank you for listening to this episode If you are born in February, happy birthday to you, whether you're an Aquarius or a Pisces. Hey. And yeah, shout out to our friend Donovan, who's been on the podcast before. His birthday's tomorrow. Hey, happy birthday, bro. Yep. And have a great week. Peace. Yep. See ya.